We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. This is Cheryl from Jajawarong Country. Welcome to the Beyond 90 podcast episode 77. My name is Cheryl Downs. My pronouns are she, her. I've got two terrific people on the podcast with me today as well who actually ran it solo last week or as a duo. We've got Eric and Madge. Thank you very much for doing that last week when I was just chilling out and really just enjoying a bit of a holiday amongst all the football that was going on. How are you both? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Still enjoying yep. a few days off before we get back into the, the work grind. So that'll happen this week. So enjoying the last of the holidays. Uh, thanks very much, Madge, for jumping in. And like I said, thank you both very much for going through the podcast 76 for us. This time, 77, we're giving, getting up in numbers. Stefan's just joining us on the podcast as well. Thank you, Stefan, for joining it. And I think it'll be good in the context of having some good conversations about the matches in the dub that happened this time around. But first off, let's talk about history. So history cap number 77 to coincide with episode 77 is Trina Youngblood. Now I have to apologize and say, I haven't done as much homework as what I normally do, but we know that Trina um, made 13 appearances. She debuted in 1994 as so many other players did. And there's a great article that you can read on the great, the grassroots football project. So I probably recommend everyone to jump over there and have a bit of a look, but Trina did hail, I think, or, or, played some of her football in Brisbane. But if I look back to, I'm just trying to have a look, Kingscliff Club in the 1980s. I don't know if that's before anyone's time and I don't know how strong and wild the Kingscliff Club is these days, but um, always good to see a Matilda from another area and from another club. I know it's it's good to see them in clusters because it means that it's probably a good project, um, but it's also good to see them come from different places and be seen from other areas. Anyway, shall we talk about hot topics of the week? And I haven't got too much in my list. The only thing I've got, although something else springs to mind, I think Copa 90 um, put down Mary Fowler as one of their players to watch, but the only thing I've got in the news is something that's pro- probably on the top of everyone's list. COVID. Um, How many A-League games have been postponed because of COVID? And I I know in the A-League women's, there were two matches. In the A-League men's, it seemed like it was most of them. I'm not not too sure. Eric, do you have any knowledge of how many men's matches were cancelled or postponed? Previous round. We don't have the best audio there from Eric. It's a little bit, um, little bit blowy, so we might just let Eric oh, work wait. on that a little bit. Um, Perhaps I should turn off the fan then, if it's blowy. Um, yes. <laughs> well, we have to say cool somewhat, somehow, don't yes. we? But I think that is the big news at the moment. And for the for the players and clubs that have been impacted by that, I know that we had Catherine Canuli in the last round of matches I think it was that they had to have an assistant coach step up and Mm -hmm. and I think it's now being confirmed that she did test positive was Mm -hmm. it Holly Palmer as well for Brisbane Raw who returned a a positive PCR and then it it doesn't even need to be a positive test result it also in the case of Melbourne Victory I I think there were three players one of which was Casey Dumont and the other two I actually can't remember off the top of my head Alex Chidiak was one that's right yep Um, and one other Anyway, I can't remember. I'm sorry about that, but didn't get their test results back. Now, Madge, we know that last week, I think you were in Canberra, but you had to stay in quarantine the whole time. Did you have to have a test as well? Yeah, well, um, I was a possible close, uh, well, was a close contact of someone. So I um, I went and got my test as soon as I, fa- I found out. And so then I was like, you know, inside for the, for the seven days, um, but I was negative the entire time, um, really thankfully. So I was really lucky, but yeah, it did mean that I couldn't get, out and about and um, do as much stuff with the family and and see see the game as I would have liked to. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting times. I think uh, I think the the dub has um, avoided too many games getting postponed um, compared to the men's. But I, I do wonder how long uh, we we're going to continue to get away with that. Uh, I think we've already got teams that are sort of two games 
behind. I think we've got some teams that have played five games and other teams have only played three. So in a really short season, and when you've already got Perth as well, um, trying to, uh, sorry, um, yeah, Perth trying to make up uh, some of their missed games. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, going it's it's not something that you really want to extend too far into the season especially when you've got players possibly wanting to look at maybe going back over to the Scandinavian leagues um, that we we might if the season extends a little bit longer than usual we might end up you know having the usual situation of of losing some players towards the end of the season at um, business time and finals time. So how long did it take for you to get your test result back as well? It was really quick. I was in Canberra and I think it was just before things. I mean, it was definitely very busy, but I was getting mine back in 24 hours in, okay. in Canberra. So yeah. it, it was really quick. And it, but I think it was just before things really exploded. Mm-hmm. So it's just as the, as the case numbers were starting to really ramp up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was before it got to the, the, the really big numbers that we're seeing now. So I was lucky I was able to then get my negative test to, to get back home. Um, but, look, I even saw, um, I think, Katrina Gorey on her Instagram feed was was asking if anyone has any uh, rapid antigen tests around Brisbane and the Gold Coast that she could get. So I think uh, also with the provisions that have been put in, I mean, one of the issues is actually getting access to um, to the rapid, the rapid test for the players to even be able to, um, you know, go through the testing regime that that's in place. So I, I, yeah, I really don't know what's going to happen. Um, I think Western Sydney had their game postponed. I mean, we're, we've got five games coming up this week, five or six. I've got the list here. Um, so we've got Perth and Canberra on Wednesday. Um, so Canberra haven't played in a while. So you'd think, um, and I'm not sure if Stefan's got an opinion on this, but, um, I think probably the Brisbane game is the last time that Canberra played, I think. So, I mean, having a rest is one thing, but you don't want to be out of your competitive football too long either. So yeah. hopefully they can get that one played. Yes, and Vicky Linton has talked up um, the benefits of having a bit of extra time to prepare for the next game, but I'm getting a bit worried about the guest uh, contract players, the players who are around only for seven games. Some of them are on, are on time limits, I know. So we, we may find that if we keep getting uh, suspended games that uh, some of those players don't end up playing their full seven. So that would be a real shame as well. Yeah. So I had a, um, a test on Friday last week where a, a very close contact, a very, very close contact of someone who tested positive and fortunately they're quite well, which is great to hear. But um, I haven't got my test results back yet. So that was Friday. Today we're recording on Monday. So it's a bunch of days. So if you think about it, I mean, maybe they've got a different pathway that they go through for professional athletes. So I, I did see some news just briefly out of the corner of my left eye that in the NFL, I think they're reducing or removing the requirement to test asymptomatic people. Mm. And I wonder whether or not football will start going down that pathway. It might only be that it, football or any other sports, because I don't know how long it can go on like this. And even in the community, they're changing the rules around whether or not you need to get tested to go to work. And that, you know, if you've been a close contact and those kind of things. So it will be interesting. I think Stefan raises a really valid point around the impact of those players who are only here for a certain amount of time, but Number one, we want all the players to be well. I, I imagine, and I haven't kept an eye on it, but spectator numbers may be quite down at the moment as well. I know a lot of people don't feel comfortable going out into those, not those sorts of environments, but just going out in general. But um, Eric, you're probably someone who generally does feel comfortable going out to football matches, but... Yeah acknowledging that at the moment New South Wales is in probably the hardest position of any of the Australian um, Australian areas, teams, yeah, which regions, whichever way you want to look at it. Yeah. Um, it has changed my decision-making. I think, I think the ability to be kind of shut off from the crowd, which I was at Wollongong, thankfully, I think so I'm getting a bit anxious in crowds now. So unfortunately, I think this means I will not be back at Viking Park for the rest of the season. But it's just the little things like that. Normally, I love Viking Park, but um, yeah, it is a bit with the way things are going. It, it just crowds are making me a bit anxious. But uh, yeah, thankfully, we still have 
football. Hopefully nothing untoward happens and we will have that game on Wednesday between Perth and Canberra at Wanderers Centre of Football because, well, these are the things we have to do to finish the season. Oh, by the way, thanks to uh, Ben Gilby, who's, I think, had a quick chat with Alex Aparkas. So we did note fi- for two... Um, firstly, a bit of good news. Claudia Mihelcic has finally joined up with Perth Glory. So after finishing... I believe she had to stay back in Victoria to finish her year 12 exams and then got stuck there because of the border rules. But she's finally with the squad at least. And apparently they will be based in North Sydney is what Ben said. So um, decent amount of grounds, uh, training facilities up there, I hope. And hopefully all goes well uh, with Perth Boy from here on in. But also from a a road trip perspective for the spectators and, and Stefan, I'm not sure if you've been on one of the buses that head out of Canberra to some of those matches. I don't know how comfortable people would be going out to matches in that bus environment either. And, and it is one of the best things about football that connecting with your fellow fans and having those experiences, but in these sorts of environments, it's quite possibly one of the first things that um, goes away. True, and um, especially in Canberra, we've had so few games against Sydney teams the last couple of years. So this is especially frustrating. Um, I'm one of the ones who um, who are wary about going up to to, to see the, the games in Sydney, even when Perth are playing home games and things there. Um, but I will be going out to Viking Park on Saturday. That's my, my home ground. But um, it is frustrating, but you got to, as you said, feel for the players first and make sure they're looked after and make sure we're doing the right thing by... By them first and foremost. Thank, Thank you very much. Really good point, Stefan, because uh, I mean, we as fans, we can opt out if we want to. So I think we always yeah need to really keep at the forefront of our minds that um, you know we want to make sure that the players are safe and, and feel comfortable in their work environment as well. So hopefully, um, yeah, due consideration and um, and all the safety efforts they can put in place are being put in place to keep the players safe. Alrighty, thank you very much, everyone, for all of those things. Let's talk about Matildas for a moment. There's nothing much happening right now, but very shortly we will be seeing quite a lot. In fact, I think we've been seeing some Matildas just resting and on their Instagrams you can see them. I think it was last round, actually, we saw Polks at one of the games. And so the Matildas are still maybe... hanging around Australia in in part before they head off to the Asian Cup, which I imagine is pretty imminent at the moment. I don't know if anyone knows the travel date, but as at the time of recording, I think their first game or, or certainly the Asian Cup, I think starts in 18 days. So this is really exciting stuff. I don't know how many people who listen into the podcast do you focus on maybe the major tournaments like the World Cup or the Olympics. They're absolutely massive tournaments and well worth your focus. But the Asian Cup is a really fascinating event to watch. So I certainly encourage everyone to have a look at that. If you've been watching the dub or the A-League women, you can watch it on the same channel. So you'll still see it on Paramount+. Plus. But ideally, I imagine all the Matildas matches will also be on Channel 10. So thank you very much to Paramount and Channel 10 for making sure that the football keeps coming our way. Uh, Any extra thoughts about the Asian Cup from anyone? Have we seen any bolters? I know that you talked about it last week. You probably talked about Matilda's bolters. Has anything changed? Katrina Gorey scored a bit of a, um, a screamer in the game just gone by. And is she playing herself into maybe 2023 space rather than 2022 space? Is that how it looks, Madge? Oh, look, I'm always going to be optimistic. I think I think I went into this this season just wanting many to get fit and many, of course, as Katrina Gori's uh, nickname, for those not as familiar. Um, but I've just been, she, she's exceeded my expectations as to um, how strongly and quickly that she's been able to come, to come back. She's just been immense the last couple of games. And I, I think she's played herself into consideration at least, especially in a fairly, the last few games have been, we've been fairly light, in midfield um not i'm not sure if that's just tony's plan for um just wanting to stack the the more recent squads with with more defenders and 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 work on some more of those options um but uh, you'd you'd have to think she should be in there for contention at the moment uh for for the asian cup uh and and absolutely for for 2023 
Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Eric, I'm not sure if you're aware of the the squad sizes for the Asian Cup, if it varies from any of the other tournaments, and whether or not, based on what we saw in the Olympics, it was the standard squad, but then they added a couple of extra just because of the complexities of COVID, and I wonder if they'll do something similar here. Okay. Now, I believe, you know, what as believe it was 23 squads are 23 kind of the normal thing as at the last asian cup and if you give me 10 seconds i can confirm that for sure the the one thing i'd say about katrina gory form yes but there's a bit of a complication here does katrina gory want to well firstly will she take harper with her does she want to be separated when harper's so young so there's um so, a few I mean, extra questions for her, but good, good questions to have because we're only asking this. her what she wants to do as well, yeah, of course. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, good questions to have because we're only asking this because she's playing really well. So, um, yeah, 20, yeah, 23 players. Actually, you can, it says 18 to 23. I don't know why you would ever pick less than 23 if you're allowed to pick 23, but there we go. Also on this, um, might be financial, Topic. Eric, for some of the nations that don't mm-hmm. have as much yes. money, just thinking about the cost of taking a couple yes. of extra players, which yes. is unfortunate. Yep. Um, also, Lon, I did notice as on the Wikipedia page for the 2018 Asian Cup, uh, it does talk about the preliminary list of 50 players. And I was listening a few weeks ago on the Sky Blue Stories podcast, Sydney FC fan podcast, but Courtney Vine said she was on that list of 50. So Let's wait and see. All right. Sounds like a good list. I haven't seen it before. Can I ask when the uh, when the squad's due to be announced? Do we know that? Nah, I should have seen that question coming. Can you give me another 30 seconds? But it'd be <laughs> soon. Uh, wouldn't You'd think it wouldn't be less than Two seven days before something. the first I mean, game of the tournament. Oh, the, they'll although, have to travel as well, right? And I, yes. I thought that they were traveling and spending some time over there, although yes. maybe with the risks of COVID, they're minimizing their their time and space over there but you have to acclimatize okay uh talk amongst yourselves while i look at the competition regulations this will be fun what we might do is is we'll move off um we'll move off of the matildas and the asian cup and we'll just move in into dub territory and we can always come back so round five of the dub started a couple of days ago with wellington phoenix against sydney fc Look, I have to say, I watched some of the match and it just got to the point where it wasn't comfortable to watch it. I'm really feeling for Wellington Phoenix that, you know, they're, they're such a young bunch of players. And we I already talked about it previously that I thought it's such a short amount of time to actually build, build a club, build a team, that putting them in that environment after a couple of months is pretty difficult. And then coming up against a team like Sydney FC who – had not a great result, I think, in their last match and probably wanted to come out of the gates and really demonstrate that they are top of the table or, you know, one of the best teams out there. So it was uncomfortable to watch for me. It was a 5-0 victory for Sydney. But for me, yeah, I had to stop watching. It it wasn't something that I enjoyed. I don't know if anyone's a Sydney fan out there or thinks differently than what I thought. It certainly... And we've got some post-match audio, which I'll tack on to the end of the podcast for people who want to have a listen to that as well. Uh, certainly Gemma Lewis, the coach of Wellington Phoenix, they're talking about all the lessons that they're learning. So you don't always have to win to learn lessons. And certainly, in, in fact, losing is quite possibly better sometimes to learn more lessons. But it needs to be a little bit balanced, I think. And if it's a little bit too hard, it's a difficult situation. Madge, your thoughts? Did you watch that match? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I, I probably felt kind of similar in that um, it's probably it's 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 a, it's a result that was probably expected. But I guess the five goals coming in the first half, I think as well, was uh, was probably a bit shocking. And and all credit to to Wellington for really tightening up in the second half. I mean, no doubt Sydney probably took the foot off the accelerator a little bit as well. Although that's not, it's, I wouldn't say that's hugely in their in their mentality either. So I think they they would have liked to have gotten themselves in a record book. But it is a bit sad that when at halftime you've got the commentators talk talking about can we get a record um, biggest win sort of score happening. Uh, and it's it's not really what you want to see. But at the same time, I think, I mean, if we go back to Matilda's talk, um, you know, we, the Matilda's when we went and played uh, Germany and, um, and the Netherlands and got, um, um, and got drummed uh, pretty well early on, 
uh, you, you could look at it a, a, as a similar mi mindset for Wellington and that they're, they're wanting to test themselves against, you know, some of the best teams. That's, you know, it's a big reason why they wanted to come into um, the A-League women's uh, so that they can develop some of their younger players and uh, really get them, you know, up to the, to the standard that uh, they need for the New Zealand football team for, for 2023 uh, and start developing those pathways themselves. So, um, yeah, disappointing. But um, but if we look back at their, at their other games, probably Newcastle, the game against Newcastle was, was a bit of a blowout as well. I think that one was 5-1 from memory. But they've been competitive in like, so in their first game and uh, and then the second game against Newcastle, they've been really competitive. So I, I, mean, I don't think it's um, the end of the world. We have seen score lines like this in the dub before. It's, it's not unusual. Um, and hopefully we'll just continue to see Wellington grow uh, into the season as, as the players get more accustomed to the pace and, and the skill and, and probably the physicality sometimes um, of the game. A lot, a lot of the players are quite young. And you do notice that um, across the league when, some, when we've got some of these 15, 16, 17-year-old players coming up against you sort of mid-20-year-old players, um, there, there can be a bit of that physicality difference there as well. One of the things that you talked about, the competitiveness of the of the team and how they're the level is a bit different across different games. And again, that's something that Gemma Lewis talked about, that she's not necessarily, uh, I'm sure she's interested or concerned about maintaining that competitiveness within a game or across the 90 minutes. But she's also talking about it from, you know, if we play one team one week and we're competitive, then the following week I expect the same level, not the same result, but the same level of competitiveness. And, and I think for her, it sounded like she was disappointed. And it also sounds like that they're really honest in the team, that they won't sugarcoat it. They'll, they'll make sure that people take accountability for, you know, did they not do well enough? And that's something that I think we also heard with Melbourne Victory for the previous game that they played and might be something that they talk about again for the next match coming up. All right, moving on as my dog barks in the background, the next match that we talk about, Adelaide United against Perth Glory. It was a 4-2 win to Adelaide United. Stefan, I'm going to put you in the hot seat for this one. Did you watch it? Yes, I did. Yes, I did watch this one. Um, really pleasing to see um, Dylan Holmes come back in and um, really excited to be back on the field, I think, and um, had a lot of joy going forward. And I think players like uh, Chelsea Dorber really enjoyed having her back as well and uh, it seemed to benefit the entire team. But, yeah, it was a, uh, you know, a solid 4-2 win. I think it was 2-all at one stage, um, just after half time, And... Um, Adelaide finished very strongly. So I think the difference is that Adelaide are putting it, putting it together and with the benefit of their cohesion from the last couple of years, they're putting together longer patches of play where they, they really look the goods and they're getting the combinations right. Um, Perth doing that in bits and pieces. And um, so we saw, for example, Perth's uh, goal by Hinson, um, lovely lead up um, play by, um, by, by Jan Sesky and, uh, who was on the right there? Susan Fongson came. Yep. Yep. Yes, that's right. Yes, so that was terrific interchange of play. Really enjoyed seeing that. And the ball across to um, to Hinson was quality. And and the first time, you know, take, to, to take the goal was really nice to see as well. Um, so Perth are going to pose a real threat to Canberra on Wednesday. Um, so Canberra are going to have to look out. Um, so Canberra will also be looking at, you know, getting, getting their... Um, excitement and quality happening for longer in the period of the, of the game. But um, yeah, very much, very much enjoyed um, Adelaide's um, second half in particular, where they were very strong for long periods, I think. Eric, how have you gone with your homework on the side there? Excellent. Okay. So in the Asian cup competition regulations, uh, so your final squad of between 18 and 23, it must be submitted to AFC by 10 days prior to your first match. So the exact deadline is different for each team. Now, in the unfortunate instance of a plane needing to be replaced before the start of the tournament, that can be done up to six hours prior to your first match. So I can't quite remember the dates, but 10 days before your first game, that's when, you're, that's when we will find out the squad of 23. Okay. All right. Well, at least we know that much or whether or not we will find out. I, I don't know. I mean, they'll have to submit it to AFC, well, but how, mm. how much they push that out to the media, I'm not sure. 
I feel like that is going to happen straight afterwards. I feel like that would be the same day, surely. I just don't believe anything sometimes, Eric. When it when it comes to squads, um, I think they try and buy as much time as possible. And certainly in the times of COVID, I mean, we really don't know what mm-hmm. will happen. But mm-hmm. thank you for doing that. The next match that was on the calendar was between the Western Sydney Wanderers and Canberra United, which was postponed. Um, I'm not sure which side of the tracks there were maybe some positive cases, but Wanderers. one of the... Wonders one of the case. two, yeah, and not surprising really with Catherine Cannuli. I'm not saying that one begets the other, but, yeah, it's certainly around there. And Canberra probably in a bit of a bubble sometimes just in terms of being protected and well vaccinated as a community. So I think it's quite good. And then just quickly maybe talk about the match between Melbourne City and the Newcastle Jets, which was also postponed due to positive cases within the Melbourne City camp. So Mm. the last match of the round that we saw was just yesterday between Melbourne Victory and Brisbane Raw. It was looking to, it was heading towards a lovely draw, which I think would have been a, a, a great end result. And then, and then something happened that I wasn't overly happy with, but I, I need to bite my tongue. I am always team ref. I have to say that I'm always team ref. In this case, I don't know. Let, let's do a show of hands on, on the call. Was it, was it a red? I'll be different. I, I, think- I really. I like, Eric, you have to know that when you put your hand up because of your virtual background, it actually yes. disappeared. Yes. <laughs> so that uh, yes. works perfectly for I mean, me. <laughs> clearly the, um, uh, the, the better human being is taking precedence on my screen, by the way. Oh, that reminds me, shame that the Denise Derby was postponed due to COVID cases. But wait, where's my hand? There we go. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I did read a good thread on Twitter by... Kiana. Kiana, yes. Kiana Roar at yep. Kiana Roar who has a weird display name at the moment. But anyway, but she just basically said, it's not just things like point of contact. There's a bunch of things that need to be taken into consideration, like the speed at which a player flies in. And really the issue is I, I, after that, didn't hate the red card decision so much. And especially because I still need to um, uh, actually read the laws of the game properly, but it was a good reminder that there is more to this than, what I think a lot of people generally use, which is uh, to make it, to simplify it admittedly, which is careless, is foul, reckless, yellow card, excessive force, red card. But there is a lot more to it than that. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think, she, I think she summed it up that um, probably what sold the red card was the contact on the ankle, on mm-hmm. the weight-bearing leg. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess where I land, look, it's, it's one of those ones that if it hadn't been a red, I don't think mm. anyone would have been mm. complaining. Mm. If he, I think if it had been a yellow, it would have been, okay, fair enough. And also considering some of the other um, other calls that we've seen recently in, in the dub. Um, but then Kiana did also make the, the, the good point. It's, it's, there's no use comparing uh, decisions mm. between games and different referees as well. Uh, games all have their different contexts and, um, and different referees seeing um, things in slightly different ways when there are all of those different considerations to take into account. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it may be a little bit on the harsher side, but at the end of the day, you don't go in studs up into somebody's ankle. Um, you know, if, if you, if you're going to be doing that, you're going to be leaving yourself open for a call that, that doesn't go your way. Um, so that's, that's probably where I'd, I'd land on it. Um, but yeah, so I don't know, Cheryl, if you, if you want to add in your, I'm going to let Stefan go first, actually, and then, then I'll add my thoughts. Yeah, so I read that thread as well, and um, there were two things that struck me about it. One was about the um, the prime consideration is how much you're endangering the other player. So, um, so and the other con- and one of the other points is about point of contact. So, yes, the point of contact was there with on the uh, Cooney Cross one. The other one that we saw on the weekend, the Sarah Carroll one. Uh, there was a sliding force. Um, that was a big one. Yep. And the studs were up, but there was no contact from the, from the studs. So that was an interesting uh, point of view on, on that one. So the, the contact with that one was on the thigh. Um, so. And not on a supporting leg as well. So yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was an interesting viewpoint of that because my immediate response to that one was that one looked like it was endangering the opponent. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agreed with um, what 
Simon Hill's sentiments, I think, and with you, Madge, as well, I think. So I, th I thought the yellow would have probably been okay, but um, for the for the Kyra one. But um, as you said, why why put yourself in that situation? You know, take it take it out of the the hands of the ref. So uh, yeah. Yeah, fair call. And we did talk off air a little bit about VAR, and I'm happy to throw that back in the mix as well. And, and no, quite, poss quite possibly doesn't necessarily come into consideration for this. It might be more around offsides and goals and those kind of things. But for me, bear in mind that I'm looking at this with a lens of being an extreme Kyra Cooney Cross fan, being an extreme victory supporter, but also being, I, I feel like I, like I said, I, I'm team ref. So, and I acknowledge the very hard work that the referees do every single day, whether or not they've made a great decision, had a great game or otherwise, I don't know the laws of the game to the degree that anyone out there refereeing a match does. So I don't want to challenge them. But from a spectator's perspective, all I thought was that I didn't think that the contact was necessarily late. I thought it looked like to me on, on, the, on the camera, on the video angle that we saw, which takes out the context of everything else that you can see. So it's always harder to watch a game like that. It, it didn't look like it was late. It was a contested ball to me, maybe, maybe a smidge late. I think when she went in with her with her boot, I don't think her studs were up when she started. But then with momentum, I imagine that the foot has probably leveled out a bit to the point that the studs were probably showing. So, you know, that would have gone against her. But, you know, the decision is what the decision is. And, and I think from then it changed the game significantly. So for me, that's something that, you know, referees are there to judge the game or referee the game in terms of the rules of the game. And I get that, but I, I think it, it changed the game beyond what it, it should have or could have done, but yeah, no, no hard I mean, feelings, on, still team ref. Yeah. I mean, but onto the game though, if we want to talk, talk about the details there. Let's talk about the game. I mean, I think, I think both teams, they both have issues. Um, like I, I don't, I don't think victory were asserting any sort of amazing dominance. No, not at all. Yeah. Um, I did joke um, as the game started because the first few minutes Brisbane were looking good, and I was like, "This happens every game. We look good at the beginning, and then we we bottle it at the end." And then, of course, and then Jesse Rashard passes the ball past debutante um, keeper uh, Mia Bailey to gift uh, Melbourne victory their their first goal. So. And then, and then the second goal from victory was contentious as well. Again, we'll, we'll give that to the refs. They're probably in a better position to see if the ball wholly went over the line. I'm not 100% convinced on that one either, but um, yep. we'll, leave, you know, we'll leave the decision. But if you had VAR, you might know. I don't know. Well, that would be goal line technology, which is apparently is a lot more expensive than even um, VAR to implement. So Yes, it is. Chips and microchips in the ball and all that. Yeah. Why not both? Why not both? <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't know if we want to go back to How about to we pay the players with that money? Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, good, good point, Eric. So, I mean, I think it, it's one of those games where I think both teams, um, victory weren't making a, a heap of attacks on, on the raw goal. Um, I think um, after, uh, you know, after the, the first, I, I was really proud of Mia Bailey, actually, sort of stepping into goals for Brisbane. I think she had a really great debutante game. Um, besides, besides the two goals, um, really the first one, she nothing she could do about there. Um, but she, as she, I think she came up with a great save, probably victory's best other chance of the game that um, Catherine Zimmerman probably should have, should have done a little bit better on, just didn't quite push it far enough past Bailey. Um, but, yeah, so they're, they're both interesting teams at the moment. I think victory sort of have some quality players to still come back in, but then they're losing Williams. Yep. Um, but then hopefully they'll get back Melina Ayres at some stage. So and Chids was a big player in the, in their last match as well. So to have her not be available, I think was was different. But anyway, yeah. So it's an interesting game. So it's one of those ones where I think victory probably have gone down a little bit in people's expectations about uh, where they might land at the end of this season. And it's going to be, but I mean, they had some big losses last season as well and, and really came good towards the end. So uh, it might be a similar situation when they get some of these players back. Um, Brisbane's been similar. We've been waiting for Katrina Gorry to 
um, get back into form. Hopefully when we get uh, Holly Palmer back in, Nat Tatham, of course, came back from her uh, first game back after her ACL injury. And she you know, came up big with a, with a great assist there for the, um, the goal that put Brisbane ahead. Um, so, yeah, I, I think both teams, yeah, there's, in, on the defensive side, there's, there's still issues for both teams that I think could be exploited by um, any of the other clubs. Uh, put put you on the spot, Madge, and maybe everyone else have a think about who you thought was the the player of the round, which we haven't necessarily talked about generally. But I mean, that was definitely a big game. You might want to cast your mind back a little bit to the match between Sydney and Wellington. But in terms of contests, I kind of feel like the victory Brisbane match might have given the bit. Where I'm coming from is that 5-0 for Sydney over Wellington doesn't necessarily enable the team to say I was the best player because you weren't playing against the best opposition on the day. So that's why I think maybe the match between Adelaide United and Perth Glory or Victory Brisbane would be where we might see our player of the round. But am I am I full of it, Stefan? No, I think I'd give it to Minnie, I think. No. Yep. Yeah, I think I went know. to as well. I mean, I think I actually think the game of the round was probably the Adelaide um, mm-hmm. Adelaide game. I think that was yep. a really great game. But there's, um, I'm just thinking of the Adelaide side. There's there were a few standout players. Whereas, um, and and you know, not to put down anyone else in from the victory Brisbane game, but I think Mini was the standout player. Yeah, I think yep. really controlled the game. So, yeah. Was I the only one who saw that goal coming? You could just see her on the ball and I've seen Minnie, I mean, obviously miss from there as well, but you just watch it and you're like. Well, she had a go with the first goal that um, that Maisel couldn't collect and then Larissa Crummer put it in. So yeah, she was in the mood. She was in the yeah. mood for one of them. Yeah. It looked like Kyra Cooney-Cross was in the mood as well for a couple of the shots that she was having on goal, which were about 300% wide of the goal most of the time. But, it, you know, good to see that she's happy to have a shot out there. Eric, your thoughts, would you give your player of the round to Minnie as well? Let me just think. Or is this where you talk about Mackenzie Hawksby? No, not yet. Hey, hey no spoilers. Um, Now, <laughs> I feel like... Emily Condon. Yeah. I think showing cool. once yep. again uh, a goal a goal and an assist. And just uh, yeah, I think I just yeah, just the way her technique is it's so brilliant. She's one of these rare players that can take set pieces with both feet. I think we saw that both right footed and left footed corners in the game between Adelaide and Perth. And yeah, it's just once again, I think carrying on from last season where I think she got four goals and four assists from midfield, which, you know, in a short dub season is excellent. So uh, Emily Condon, she's another player that's kind of on that fringes and I feel would be one really good or even in her case, another good dub season away from perhaps making a Matilda squad. Yeah, it was it was a, a round of um, great goals. If you look at the um, the, the nominations for goal of the round uh, that I think the A-League account has up at the moment. Um, there's some fantastic goals. I think actually every single one of Adelaide's goals were great. Um, so if you want to go back and look at the highlights of those. Um, and even, I think, and the goal that's there in the the goal of the the round for the Sydney goal, um, uh, low, that low mm-hmm. score, was another mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah, screamer from outside the box. Um so some really beautiful goals this um, this round. So there's been plenty to enjoy, that's for sure. All right, maybe we'll take a quick quick look at the table, actually. So we've got Sydney on top there. They've only had one draw, and apart from that, they're cruising along pretty well. Melbourne City looking good at the top as well, and they had, I, I think, a, I was going to say a pretty ordinary start, but a, a big loss, Melbourne victory after that. So good to see a couple of Melbourne teams up the top of the table. Newcastle Jets in the top four. Brilliant to see them up there, followed by Perth Glory in fifth, Adelaide United in sixth, Brisbane Raw in seventh, Western Sydney Wanderers in eighth, Canberra United in ninth. Not something that we normally would expect to see. Stefan will be looking for that to be corrected 
over time. And then in 10th position, we've got Wellington. And, and we talked about that first match that they played against the Western Sydney Wanderers and how important that one point was because now it puts them in a position where they've got a point. If they went through the whole season, and they will be more competitive against other teams, but having that one point on the border, I think, is a pretty big deal. Going into the next round and the matches that we hopefully will see, um, I'm just trying to quickly find them. I'm sorry, bear with me because they change everything. Um, so the next match, we've got a match on Wednesday that's between Perth Glory and Canberra United. Stefan, your thoughts on what could eventuate from that? I mean, Canberra probably don't look like they're doing so well being ninth on the table, but they're still a great team. And I think this is a really, really big game. Yeah, I think um, I think it's a lot about um, momentum for them. So I, I was really happy to see them excited and and um, and finishing coming home with a wet sail in the last game. So I really hope that carries over into the next game. Um, I think Vicky Linton's probably still doing some tweaking with the lineup a little bit. I think um, our defence looked uh, best in round two when we had the four at the back. They looked most comfortable with each other in that setup. I'd still love to see Grace Meyer and Laura Hughes together in the centre of the park. And uh, Chelsea Washington was quite good out wide, I think. Um, so, and I think there's um, reason to be excited with Ash Sykes and Alira Toby backing up working with um, Michelle Heyman. So for me, it's all about um, the cohesion and, um, you know, getting themselves up, up for the game and, and, and showing some consistency in their quality and uh, getting forward. So, yeah, so I'm very interested to see how they go on, on Wednesday and how that carries over onto the weekend. Question for you as well, Stefan, in terms of who you miss the most from last season of the players that you had there. So for Canberra United, one of the players <laughs> I think about is um, probably Jessica Nash and how she's now playing with Sydney FC, not getting a starting position all the time. What? Has oh, started. She started every, hasn't she? Oh. No, she hasn't, has not started every game. Oh, four um, out of five, that's fine. Yeah, and I'm not thinking it was, you know, a good or a bad move for her, but from a Canberra perspective, who do you miss having there? And, and yeah. Uh, well, Kendall. Kendall's a big one. You know, our captain um, really steered the, the defence around. So, um, yep. you know, and she's been a, a big Canberra name for, you know, a number of seasons. So she would have been. She was a victory player. name at one point as well, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Many, 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 many years ago she played. Yep. Yep. But and, also. Uh, and Central Coast Mariners. <laughs> yep. Yep. But also Nikki Flannery. Um that balance, you know, that that ability she has to get up and down the left. And uh, I think Vicky's doing a good job with encouraging Hayley Taylor-Young to do the same type of role. Um, so that's, I'm really hoping that Hayley grows into the season in that regard. But I think, uh, yeah, Jessica, Bianca, uh, Kendall, you know, they're all, they're big losses to, to try and overcome. But I, if I'd pick one, have to pick one, I'd go with Kendall, I think, just for the uh, the way she holds the, the team, to held the team together and in some ways in the back part of the field. Yeah. All right. Good call. Um, all right. On to the next match. So we'll see, well, we'll hope to see Newcastle Jets against Melbourne Victory, Sydney against Perth Glory. So Perth with a couple of matches, just looking ones on Wednesday, ones on Saturday. So they've got a little bit of a, a short break in between those. But then on Saturday, we also see Canberra United against Adelaide United. So the same short break for Canberra. And then finally, I think for, no, not finally, don't listen to me, Brisbane Roar against Western Sydney on Sunday and then Melbourne City against Wellington on Sunday as well. Thoughts from um, maybe Eric or Madge on what you think might be game of the round amongst those or any key things to watch out for? Canberra, the rematch between Canberra and Adelaide, I think. Yeah, that's what I think that, that one as well. I think that one probably looks like game of the round. Um Hopefully Canberra can get get some form going um, because I think Adelaide are looking really good and if Canberra can get some form going as well, I, I think that could be a really good game. I tend to think that Newcastle Jets against Melbourne Victory could be a big game as well. Thinking about Newcastle haven't been doing too badly and Melbourne Victory probably not at the top of their space. And also with Kyra Cooney-Cross getting the red card, she won't be travelling to Newcastle. So it will make it make things look a little bit different for them. But anyway, they're the matches that we will see in should catch us up to the end of match day six of 14, which means that we're getting through the the dub or the A-League women faster than you can, yeah, 
faster than you want to get through it. All right, some signing news, not necessarily from the dub or the A-League women, but for NPLW from Canberra. Yeah, so some news out of um, Canberra, Croatia. They they um, put out releases on the uh, 23rd and the 26th of December saying that they're um, two players who've been in the uh, Beyond 90 play, uh, team of the year the last two seasons, uh, Golden Boot, Brittany Palombi, who's been Golden Boot for a few seasons now, and uh, their important midfield engine, Krista Hagen, uh, have re-signed. So that will be very welcome news for the club, given that we've, we're hearing noises from Grace Gill that she may not be putting on the boots this year. So she'll be a, a big loss. She changes the game, Grace, when she comes on the field. So, so but yeah, some some really good um, you know names to have back in, in that team and will give them a lot of confidence uh, coming into the next season. Canberra oh, Grace, you'll be missing out. Get the boots on, get back in there. <laughs> yes. um, just a question for, I mean, given the success of Golden Boots as they move from NPLW into W League or the dub. Brittany Palombi is not a name that I've heard too much of apart from conversations with yourself, Stefan, and, and from a midfield perspective as well. It's great to see some really top midfielders around, but where are these players in the context of the dub? Um, and why aren't they there if, if yeah, we're talking a, Golden Boot? It's a good question. Um Brittany's got a lethal left foot um, and she, the defenders who play against her tend to know what's going to happen, but they can't stop it. <laughs> so I think um, when you step up that next level, the defenders would probably be able to deal better with, with the knowledge of how she plays and the sorts of movements that she does. But you give her space and time on that left boot and it's just absolutely lethal. Like it's... Um, she scores, you know, bags of goals each season, obviously, as the golden boot. But um, so, she, yeah, one of those players where you know what she's going to do, but you can't stop it <laughs> so, as a defender. Yeah. Um, so, and, Eric, I don't know your thoughts as well, but sometimes those golden boots, I mean, they, they go, <laughs> they jump into the dub and they do really, really well. But from a Victorian perspective, Melina Ayres obviously has been massively successful, but I don't think that she's replicated that success anywhere near as much in the dub. And Apart from being victory's golden boot last year? Yeah, but still... I, I, I don't. And she's not going to score thirty goals in a dub season, Cheryl. Like. Correct. <laughs> I I just don't think she's reached the same heights as what you see her in there. Which I mean, the NPL competitions are what they are. I mean, it, there's not the consistency across all the teams, but nor is there in the dub either. But then another player that springs to mind was from many, many years ago, Tiff Eliedis, who is still playing with Melbourne City, I think, at the moment. Is she on their team sheet or is she on victories? I can't remember. She's but on also, victory. Yep. There you go. Actually, she was the third player. So another player for me who has been incredibly successful at NPL level, but the step from NPL to W League had never really been one that she she took successfully I don't think at least in terms of a, a striker I think she's changed her role a little bit and she's playing a bit more in the midfield and I've got a few I've got a few more for you as well um I mean Shay Connors is was the golden boot from NPL Queensland so and she's stepped up to the Brisbane Roar and it is interesting watching her transition I think um watching her even in the victory game it's like there were some times when she she, she maybe had some chances but either second-guessed or um, just maybe just didn't make the right decision at, at the right point in time. And you, you, yeah, you wonder if that's just that, that step up in quality in defending. Uh, and then you can look at um, even northern New South Wales, and I think Gemma House, I think she was playing for Newcastle. She was a, a runaway golden boot winner in that NPL competition. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think that, I think the step from NPL to the dub is still a really big one. Um, but it's good to see more players taking the step and, you know, you, you can only test yourself uh, and, you know, test yourself against that, that better, better quality and, and see if they can grow into it and, and step into that competition. Thank you for that. A little bit of support always, always goes well. All right, let's talk about Queens of the Week. Stefan, you're the first person to have done their homework, so that means you get to go first. Yeah, well, my, my homework was actually last week. Last week's homework, or last pod's homework that I didn't that I didn't put in because of Christmas. Um, so I've I've really enjoyed the introduction of the Phoenix into the competition. I've, there are four or five players there that really catch my eye, and um, 
and I love hearing uh, Gemma Lewis talk about the mm-hmm. team and how she how she's um, going about things there. Um, but the thing that really one thing that really impressed me was Lily Elfeld's Elfeld's um, press conference last week, last round after the game, and uh, just seeing how passionate she is about leading her team. She's also, I think, probably the form keeper of the competition. Um, so she's having a a, a wonderful. Uh, season so far and I, and I hope that continues and um, she's just a credit to that team and uh, and its introduction to the league which I'm I've got to say I know it was a, a 5-0 loss and they got found out down the down Sydney's right um, but there's lots to enjoy about what they're doing as well some real quality in some of those players and they're playing and they're young and they're playing without fear especially in the front third of the field so um, players like Alyssa Wynnum um, yeah so it's um very much enjoying it. So, Lily, Lily, you're my uh, Queen of the Week. Thanks very much for that, Stefan. And I'll jump in and throw mine out there as well, just for continuity, just because it's another goalkeeper. And, and I would have said Lily Elfeld probably for the past couple of weeks as well. This time around, I'm giving a shout out to Melissa Maisel. Great to see her out there after not starting or not having any real game time for four years. She's been across a number of clubs. So she's been at Melbourne, Melbourne's victory she's been at Perth Glory she's been at Canberra United and and now back with victory again we did an article on her not that long ago I think it was Tanner put together an article she's a plant-based athlete as well so I I think she's looking incredibly fit I think it's great to see her have an opportunity to be out there and to think about the work that the goalkeepers put into the game and they're probably the least substituted substituted players out there so it's really hard I think to be a, a second keeper so yeah, for me, Melissa Maisel's great job. Great to see you out there kicking goals. Not necessarily, but you know what I mean. It's always great when it happens, though. <laughs> then the keeper up. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. There, there's a challenge for you, Melissa. We, we love to see you get out there again and maybe have a, a starting position or not, because I, I love seeing Casey out there as well, to be honest. But let, let's get a keeper goal. Love to see it. It's never happened in the dub, has it? I have no idea. That's a good it... question. Hmm. Is that a question for Lockie? Or yeah, Eric? That will be asking Lockie or Dale. That, that, that will be the extent of my homework. So... Get into it, guys. Maybe there's been a penalty. There may have been a penalty at some stage. But... Mm. Oh, that counts. Yeah, yeah, I think that counts. Probably bubs. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> All right, cool. Yep. Madge, Eric? Yes, what? Oh, Queen of the Week. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So my Queen of the Week, well, it goes back to Thursday night's game between Sydney and Wellington down in Wollongong. And Wollongong local Mackenzie Hawksby had the best possible homecoming, scoring a first half hat trick. Uh, she's so local. She went to school almost next door to Wynn Stadium at St. Mar- Mary Star of the Sea College, which is like a block away. So really, I mean, you have to be a queen. If you come home, score a hattie, it's just brilliant. That's pretty much automatic queen of the week material for me yep sounds good and my queen of the week is nat tatham returning from her uh long to her acl injury that she did in the first game of last season so she's it's great to see her back sort of midway through um this this next season now and it's always great to see a player come back in style as well um getting on the stat sheet with uh, an assist for the for the uh goal that put us into the lead after a great through ball from um, Aisha Nori as well. I just got, got to give um, Nori some props as well. She had a great game. But it's so great to see Nat um, back as well because she's such a great team player. I think any, anyone who's um, sort of met Nat, um, she's got a great personality. Uh, I think all our teammates love her and uh, I think we saw that um, with you know how happy everyone was that, that she was involved in that goal, in that third Brisbane goal. So it's great to see her back. Well done, Nat. Yeah, yeah, well done, yeah, yeah, because Natalie yeah. has a futsal background. I totally agree. <laughs> and also because she wore the the victory colours for that one game when she yeah. was injured. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think she looks really quite good in navy blue. And maybe you want to come back. 
Up to, up to you. All right. Well, that's the end of the podcast on behalf of myself and the crew behind me and, and the crew who put everything together on Beyond 90. Thank you very much. Thank you for 2021 for paying attention and listening into us as well. I appreciate that. Got a big year ahead of us for 2022 coming up, no doubt, with the Asian Cup, which we talked about. After that, we'll have um, the double continue as well. But shortly after that, I think around about the 15th of January, we start seeing some of the leagues overseas coming back on the ball as well so it'll be great to see them out there and it's all big news until we get to 2023 as well for the world cup so keep an ear out make sure that you're talking football getting it in front of people's faces because we want it to be the biggest and best event that we can ever ever host Alrighty. Thank you very much, everyone. If anyone has any thoughts, reviews, opinions, ping them to us. We'd love to talk to you and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Bye-bye. Wondering if we've done the wrong thing in between the two days. Um, we didn't really get on, um, get on the field. We kind of rested more and focused more on recovery, but Maybe that was the wrong thing to do in terms of the mentality to prepare for the game. Um, maybe we should have rotated squad. We decided to try and stick with the same people to keep building. Um, but actually, when we put players on, they put more of an impact in. So, yeah, things to reflect on. But, um, yeah, really disappointing. Um, at least they kind of came out in the second half a little bit better. Firming, did you finish the game with 10 players? That, that was correct, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I think for the last kind of... 10 to 15, we went to um, 15, uh, 10 players, sorry. Um, and uh, yeah, just um, she had a bit of a groin um, strain um, and we talked about it. She wanted to go back on, um, but was also taking painkillers and was limping and struggling. Um, for us, we five nil down, we had to look further ahead and not afford to risk her to make that strain worse um, by trying to play through it and um, because she didn't want to leave us with 10 players. But I'm just kind of wondering what your your halftime mentality kind of is. Like when you're talking to the team, there's a few ways you can go about it, I guess. You kind of like uplift them or, or do you get do you get angry at all, like trying to fire them up in a way or, or what's kind of your, your mentality when, when that's the scoreline at halftime? Um, yeah, it's hard um, because it is it, like everyone's frustrated. Everyone's emotional. Um, like, to be honest, it was probably both. Um, it, it was a case of they were they needed to to be held accountable and they needed to be kind of um, pulled up on a performance that wasn't good enough um, and they know that as well though so you kind of toe the line a little bit with that and they you know you're five nil down you know you're not playing great um, but yeah so we kind of uh, I held them accountable um, shook them up a little bit but then also. Um, tried to push them forwards to kind of talk about, well, that half's done, it's 5-0, um, but you can either go out there and let this game get away from you even more, or you can try and have a different second half to actually show people that you can compete um, and don't let yourself be known as the layup team. You have to be authentic. They can see that there's frustration, there's frustration in the whole team. I think that has to be, that that kind of was, um, was obvious. Um, and then we kind of parked it after we took some accountability and then looked at what we could do differently going out there. It was like a game of two halves, I think. So the first half was, we were all pretty gutted about that first half. Um, but second half we came out and like we showed a bit of character and, you know, to keep them at nil was pretty good for the second half. So yeah, very conflicted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's never easy to like be like two, three down so early in the game and like, we obviously go into every game wanting to win and like, you know, you, you that's how you approach every game. So to be down so early, it just, it, yeah, it's a bit stink. Um, but they were good goals. I mean, I don't know about the penalty, but um, the first goal was really good. So can't argue about the first one. Yeah. So what do you think um, was the difference in the second half? Was it something Gemma and Nat said at halftime that uh, made you a bit more resilient in the second half? Yeah, I think it was we had she was it was a really good halftime talk and it was just like, you know, you can either roll over and let it be like it, you know, let in a few more goals or you can change a script and just could like, you know, change the narrative of like they came back out the second half and um put in a good shift and and that's what we wanted to do. Like not, not everyone knew at halftime that that isn't how we play and that's not we want what we want the game to be remembered by. So, yeah, I think it just hit home and um, definitely motivated as a second half to play how we want to play. Has it been good to kind of get consistent game time? It seems like 
Um, you know, I guess Gemma reflected last night, maybe it kind of backfired a wee bit having the exact same 11, but, you know, she wants to build those combinations. So for you playing a slightly different role, has it been nice to just have that consistency to, to kind of learn the ropes? Yeah, 100%. And, like, even in the Newcastle game, like, there were moments where I, like, I'm not sure what kind of run the play, like the player I'm passing to is going to make or like what, where they're looking for the ball. And I think, like you say, like with more time together in game situations that will just get um, more like fine tuned and 100% like just playing, getting those combinations going and learning who likes to make what run, where you want the ball played and that kind of thing. We've not had time to really gel um, and it's just coming. I think it is coming and like, I think we will score some goals from open play soon. But, um, yeah, we are creating chances. I think it's just definitely nailing the combinations and slowly getting there. Yeah, and just a final one, like how are you finding too, like backing up against these same teams? Because I guess it must be pretty hard when, you know, Sydney are one of the best teams in the competition and, you know, two of your first five games have been against them um, where some of the teams, I guess people would probably naturally expect you to be quite competitive against. You haven't been able to play yet. So, is it hard to, um, yeah, when you kind of haven't had those opportunities to, to play a lot of different teams that you are playing the same ones, you know, back to back? Yeah, and I think as well, like, well, I think that kind of played into the inconsistency is like playing um, so well against Newcastle and then like knowing that we're playing Sydney again, who we know are a really good team and like we just lost 3-0 to them the week before um, and like, you really have to like get up for it because like we just lost 3-0. We've had a good performance, but then like we know Sydney are playing really well.